podcast may have been paid for by the New World Order. Welcome back to the No Gimmicks Podcast. We have a very, very special edition tonight. Right now, I want to introduce a man. I followed his career from afar. He used to work for World Championship Wrestling, WCW. This guy right here was the voice of the NWO, the one, the only, Neil Pruitt. Welcome to the No Gimmicks Podcast, sir. Oh, it's great to be here, Frank. Thanks for inviting me, man. Not a problem at all. So tell us uh, what you've been up to since the closure of World Championship Wrestling back in 2001? I've done quite a few things. Luckily, I tell people that I've been one of the luckiest people alive because um, I can, you know, basically use my uh, camera and get into places you can't buy a ticket to. So I've been so lucky. Uh, I did a stint with um, the Monique Show and the Steve Harvey Project. I edited with them very briefly with the Steve Harvey Project, but mostly with the Monique Show. And had a good time doing that. Um, I also um, that, that was with P, that was with PET. Yeah. I directed a TV show on CNN International called The Music Room. Okay. People like Moby and people like that were on there. And luckily, I got to work with all the people that I had as camera people that were uh, at WCW. So that was terrific. Worked with uh, several people like Ryan Chapman and Ralph Prado and people that were just excellent. And we had the best crews in America around the world, I thought, when I worked with WCW. So it was a pleasure to work with them again. And I, I did a medical show in Florida briefly. Um, I directed for the Black Family Channel. Okay. And some C-SPAN stuff. And I I am an editor that did a lot of freelancing with companies like around like Coca-Cola, Delta, Chick-fil-A. I worked uh, with Gwinnett Magazine for a while with uh, Gwinnett Tech and just had a very good career. I've been very lucky. And now I work with a uh, very uh, uh, terrific company, and we do defense contracting. So I'll leave it at that. Gotcha. Sounds good. So could you tell us exactly what your duties were when you were employed with WCW? Something that we, as fans, may have seen on television. Well, a lot of the interviews is where I started back in the day and I kind of I did audio for that uh, for the interview room and I kind of developed a new system on how to keep track of all the various shows and the promos that went inside them and that impressed them by me changing their format on how they did it and I think they really appreciated that a bunch so that helped me um, go out of the interview room where I was kind of giving suggestions and writing a few lines for people and even I was lucky enough to even be asked to critique both Tony Schiavone and Jim Ross, which is a real honor. Oh, wow. Had a, had a few go-rounds with uh, Gordon Sully. Okay. <laughs> Maybe a little bit cantankerous. And I even got a photograph of that uh, as a younger man when I was down in Tampa at, at the Sportatorium where a lot of the Dusty Rhodes matches went, took place. And right. people like Diamond Dallas Page started there. And right. All, all the top superstars used to go through there. And Gordon... I didn't think was doing what Gordon should have done as far as the way he presented himself on camera. Cause he was a Dean of professional wrestling. It's my job to make him look and sound that way. And he wasn't. So I just helped him out to 
get it to do it again. And I think I was possibly one of the first people to ever tell him to do it again. Is this around the time when uh, Gordon Sobey was kind of checking out of wrestling a little bit? He had a little, got the issues were going on with, with Gordon Sobey? Uh, I don't know if it was that late or not, but it was in his final days with WCW. Yeah. Um, actually, it's probably, no, it's probably, uh, I don't I don't know when his final days were, but it was probably about, oh, 1990s, uh, somewhere around there. 1990-something, and it was before the NWO and everything hit. But right. I used to help uh, produce the control centers. Okay. With Eric Bischoff. And yes. But um, hang out with him sometime afterwards when uh, he was still down there doing the third-rate announcer-type job. And we, we thought Eric worked really hard and always appreciated his work. And um, still, you know, to this day, I, I speak to Eric every now and then, and he was uh, well represented, I thought, in the book Nitro, The Incredible Rise, Inevitable Collapse of Ted Turner's WCW, which is my co-host, Guy Evans, with uh, Neil Pruitt's Secrets of WCW Nitro. Right, yes. On our podcast, and um, I've been in touch with him every now and then, and talked to some of the other guys, too, and really always enjoy the time with him. Yeah, I remember watching uh, Eric back in the day. It was, uh, it was WCW Pro. Um, wrestling show and and you know he would it, it's just it's crazy to me that this guy went from being basically a c-string announcer he would do some stuff with teddy long and and then he went on to become like the guy in, yeah. in wcw become the main guy so I, I mean how did that i mean because you were there obviously so how did that you know how did that transition take place i mean you you were there to see it i mean this guy you know you were going there and produce this guy on the control center for you know halloween havoc or something like that and all of a sudden now he's running the company well, I always thought Eric had pretty good ideas, and he was ambitious and a hard worker. And there were a couple other people, I think, that were kind of up for the job. But I think after they had a few stints with people like um, Bill Watts and Kip Fry, that they kind of had enough of people that really weren't savvy as far as dealing with people. And Eric did know the business. He had worked with Fern Ganya. Right. Started there, I believe. And I don't know. Like I said, I thought he had some good ideas. And he seemed like the young blood that could take it up a notch. And he did. Yeah, he did. He absolutely did. I remember the um, the first show Eric actually um, was was in charge of was uh, Super Brawl 93. Mm-hmm. I believe that was um, the show where Ric Flair came back to the company after he ascended to WWF. And um, he had that showdown with Barry Windham when he tried to put the belt on Barry, and they were going to start their whole thing. So, yeah. I love so, Barry Windham. He was great working oh, with him. Oh, Barry Windham was awesome. Terrific guy. I really enjoyed yeah. working with him and Flair. And you mentioned Teddy Long earlier. And yeah. Great guy. And Ron Simmons and Booker T. And just so many great people um, that I got to deal with. I mean, I had a lot of fun with Diamond Dallas Page and Macho Man Randy Savage, of course. And, right. And Sting and Luger and. A lot, of, a lot of the big names. Those were the days, man. Those were definitely the days. Like we, we on on this podcast, I kind of the historian of the of the duo. So I you probably know more that. than I do. <laughs> I, I think I probably got you. I don't know. <laughs> we'll yeah, probably I, see. You know, as time passes, of course, I don't remember as much. But that logo does look awful familiar. <laughs> I, I think you would know it. Yeah, I, I think you would know it. We're, we're going to get to it. There you go. So. um 
So you were at WCW, and um, we we've heard the, the stories and, and read the books. And the Guy Evans book is is a phenomenal read and listen. And if you Thank people you. out there are on listen watching this podcast right now and listening to the podcast here. You need to check that book out. It's on Audible right now. You can go to Audible and get it. You can listen to it. I listen to it. it it's, a, mm-hmm. it's a great book. Very thorough. It's better than that other book that came out. I'm not going to mention it, but that you know that other book that came out. This one goes in depth. It actually has, you know, Jamie Conner talking about why he did what he did and, and all of that. So it's a very, very good listen. If you haven't checked out that book, you need to go check it out right now. Well, like Eric says, that guy got interviews with, people that Eric would have loved to talk to. I right. mean, over 150 people were interviewed for the book. And the initial way that guy who wrote Eric's latest book, yeah. the way they got to meet is Eric actually tracked me down to show him where Guy Evans was because I got to meet this dude. He told yeah. the truth. And from then on, you know, they were friends from that point on. And I'm glad to see that you know, they got to work together on the book, the Eric Flatus book. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, you were there in 1994. Hulk Hogan comes into WCW. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the fortunes kind of changed a little bit for World Championship Wrestling. Hogan's first, um, Hogan had, had a couple of appearances on TV. Uh, Clash of Champions was one. But then he came in at Bash of the Beach, wrestled Ric Flair. How was that? You were there for that. I mean, did you ever get to produce uh, Hulk Hogan? Absolutely. If you got to see the contract signing between Hogan and Ted Turner and yeah. Ric Flair, I produced that segment. Okay. And only because there was a kind of a how contingent there that worked on that program. The yeah. person technically actually pressed the buttons to change the different camera angles. He's from Ohio, and so is the audio guy. And me too from Northeast Ohio. So gotcha. that was kind of cool to be able to collaborate with those guys. And Rick Morganelli always did a terrific job on the set design, like um, that you saw on Halloween Havoc and all the various Bash at the Beaches. And we got to work together doing that on the set design for the pay per views, which was a terrific time. Uh, you got to really be creative, and he pulled it off every time and just did some amazing work. I got to work with him on the set design for those and make the posters and things like that and i still have the contract somewhere at home where um, ted turner signed it oh that that's so, that's worth some money I'm it's a real joy and ted yeah. turner was terrific every time i worked with him a couple times and got to direct him twice <laughs> but uh he was terrific and i'll tell you hogan and i got along great all the time because i treated him like i treat anybody and just talking to him normally and he knew that uh, I was out to make him look good and that was my job and I did my job and we got, we got together and worked out great. I, I never had a problem. Yeah. And you, you mentioned a minute ago about the, um, the, the sets and the stages and all that. And, and that's one thing I always saw that you guys did better than the WWF was oh, cool. set designs like bash the beach. You actually looked like you were at the beach. You know, yeah. all that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, Rick Morganelli was amazing. And yeah. his staff and crew had several guys to work with him. And a gentleman who's since passed away, Glenn Boyette, who was in charge of the Turner sets and things like that and making a lot of those. Um, he was a integral part of that. And his wife, 
and boy, the Boyettes, they really did a good job and did spin the wheel, make the deal, and all those different props that you'd see. And unfortunately, a lot of those made their way to the dumpster because they just didn't have any place to put them. It would have been a terrific thing to have in a museum somewhere. Oh, yeah, definitely, man. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, you, you Halloween Havoc, the, the, the giant uh, pumpkin and all that mm-hmm. stuff, the jack and all that, just great stuff. Yeah, I, I don't know that I worked on that one because I think I had, I think I may have um, kind of gotten out of that part of it by then because I was a supervising feature producer at that point, so I really didn't have the time or the bandwidth to be able to do that, but a lot of the different um, configurations of the the TVs that were on the set, stuff like that, where they had, like, we had a really long band of televisions and the big stack, uh, the, all that stuff. I had to build a lot of the graphics. They went inside of those and built them in certain ways because back then you just couldn't position them anywhere you wanted. You had to actually put them on the part of the tape that made that, that uh, showed that part of the screen. And, like, you'd cut the screen in half, and this part would be, like, say, Jeff Jarrett, and this would be the match that he was in, something oh, like that. Wow. Yeah, so it was, it was a little bit more complicated than it is today. So you were there, obviously talking about production. You were there for the. Um, so I remember the WCW. One, one of one of my favorite intros for WCW was WCW Saturday Night, the cybernetic um, Terminator kind of intro. Yep. So you guys, obviously, you worked on that as well. Unfortunately, not. Dan oh. Finan directed that. Uh. The Turner Scene Shop did that, and it was funny because when they had gone over that and made that look, I saw the set, and we went over there and looked at it, and I could have helped them out because my father worked in a steel mill, and they were kind of worried about where all the lines were on the floor and stuff like that for the safety and all that stuff. I could help them out with that, but uh, Pat McNeely was a gentleman who did a lot of the set design for Saturday Night. And he's a great artist and worked with uh, people like uh, Triple Horse Productions. Okay. Brothers that did, they've done a lot of Christian movies now, but they did that film back then. And, man, it really turned out great. And of course, Dan Bynum was the director of that show and went on to work for Ring of Honor and various other wrestling companies. And I produced WCW Saturday Night um, at that uh, right around that time. And that was my real big break to go into the truck and be able to work with the, those professionals like um, that, you know, every day made great television. So you also worked on WCW, the, the syndicated show, WCW Worldwide as well? No, I didn't do Worldwide. You I did worldwide? actually direct something on the set. Uh, worldwide was kind of done with a collaboration of, I wouldn't say leftover matches, but matches that really uh, didn't have to be so timely. And it was obviously taped and that went to worldwide and that was actually guy evans who lived in wales at the time that was his first intro to watching wcw when he lived in wales oh wow yeah so that was kind of interesting but i really didn't do much of the worldwide show i was highly involved with most every pbs product kemper rogers and i who did the design for the nwo and all that and the crazy editing and helped me with that. He was the editor that I worked with and we worked on fixed Fridays. So every show that went on the Turner network and me, I guess some worldwide, we had to make 
the things right, like when matches weren't happening because of somebody breaking a leg or something. We had to go back and find Gene Oakland saying something about somebody. Then we had to kind of make things up behind graphics and mm. rearrange words and stuff like that. But it was a great experience on learning how to fix things. And like I said, I've had a great career and doing really what I love to do. So you basically worked on the the, the big shows. Like you, you weren't on the you didn't work on the, the, the jabroni shows, the squash shows. You, 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 you were the big time. So I'm going to go ahead and ask you. September 4th, 1995, WCW Monday Nitro, the Mall of America, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure you worked in, you, you worked there, right? Worked at, at all yep. night throwing. How, how was, how was that? I mean, I mean, what did you, what did you think about that? Because I'm asking this because here's the deal. You have the WWF over here doing their Monday Night Raw show, but WWF is the king of sports entertainment. And then here's WCW, who hasn't really, you know, they've been there, they, you know, from Crockett, from, you know, Jim Crockett Promotions, and then Ted Turner bought it. And then he, you know, changed the World Championship Wrestling, which was an old name that Jim Barnett had um, in Australia. But then you, you, you kind of transition to this point where now we're going to go head-to-head with the WWF. And, and it's kind of like you go on there with the 800-pound gorilla, Mm-hmm. But you guys actually, you know, it looked good, man. That very first episode of the Money Nitro, it, it looked damn good. So, can you talk about how um, that was produced, especially in that kind of a setting of a mall? Mm-hmm. Well, luckily, Eric was from that area originally, yeah. from around Minnesota. We had a great lighting person who always brought it every time. Rick Morganelli, who, uh, I'm sorry, um, uh, Jeff Borenstein. I said Rick right. earlier. Right. Set design, but. Jeff Warrenstein, the lighting director, still works with AEW. Oh, okay. Does all their lights. If you kind of think it looks like a WCW product, it's because Keith Mitchell, my former boss, who turned the reins over from WCW Saturday Night to me, he was the producer for the longest time, who then uh, went on to help Terrell, the producer now. And it's a big, happy family up there with WCW people and former wrestlers that were working at the time, like, you know, Chris Jericho and people like Dustin Rhodes. And, and I knew Cody, you know, when he was a little kid. Right, right. It's really great to see those people still flourishing and doing really well. Yeah. So, I mean. The Mall of America was terrific. Um, we gave it a big look, I thought. Um, there were some great surprises that I wasn't really even privy to. And seeing Lex Luger come on there. That was the one. There just the night before. And, that was a huge deal. And, uh, I've always been a fan of Flying Brian Pillman. Right. He and I are both from Ohio, and he was from Cincinnati. And I actually saw his last college football game because I was down at University of Miami. Mm-hmm. And my college, Bowling Green State University, we played them. And I saw his last game in college. And that was really cool to kind of match that up later when we got to talking. And it's too bad that uh, his passing, but. He was a great athlete, and some of the you want to go see some great matches. Go back and watch Super Brawl Two. I think it might have been Saint Petersburg, but it was against Jushin Thunder Liger. What fantastic matches those guys had! Yeah, and it's funny because you bring up that match, and then they were also the opening match on Nitro. You know, from the yes. Mall of America. So that's great. That's right. Yeah. I forgot about that. See, you know more than I do. I told you. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> I'm, all, I'm always. I, I say in the past. People I like your shirt, by the way. That's a nice looking shirt. And oh, we're gonna get background. We're... You, you really judged it up for me, man. Oh, I, I well, I, I did. I, I even got you know. So. Oh, 
man. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, man. I think the only guy that made it right with you is uh, I did an interview one time with a guy from Perth, Australia. Uh, and he had all the NWO gimmicks. It was amazing. Dude, I, I have so much NWO stuff in the closet. This, this is nothing. Like, this so is it is nothing. for life. Yeah, it is, it's for life for me. Yeah, definitely. I was only <laughs> I went to the Royal Rumble this year, and uh, I was I had the uh, Outsiders jacket and the Outsiders pants and the Outsiders shirt because I still right. rap. I don't, I don't give a damn about the bloodline, man. It's NWO, baby. <laughs> so that's Appreciate how I go that, big. Yeah. Thank so you. we're 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 gonna transition now into the NWO. But before we get into that, I gotta tell you. So I was on the network, and I'm watching some of these early WCW pay-per-views from 1986, and I hear your voice. You're doing uh, voiceovers for Super Brawl, and you're doing the voiceovers for um, WCW Uncensored. I want to ask you about that. That um, what, what was it, the Doomsday Cage match? The um, Remember that? The, the the Alliance and Hulkamania, it was the, the Dungeon of Doom teaming with uh, the Horsemen, and you had Zeus out there, Z-Gangster. Yeah, if you want to talk about any of those videos where they were in the cave and all that, I didn't have anything to do with those. You didn't have nothing to do with that crap? Yeah. I didn't do any any of that stuff. Yeah, that was crap. Paul and Nash said it best. Before we got down here, it it was just an organization that was pushing their sons and doing that (laughs) Dungeon of Doom crap, and that's what it was. So we're going to go right into it now. Um, It was uh, Memorial Day, 1996. Hey, if they talk about Justin Rhodes, by the way. It was, if they're talking about pushing their sons, Dustin Rhodes, I've always admired his work, man. So, I don't know if they were talking about him. They might have been talking about a certain Watts. So, I can remember. see that possibility. Okay. Yeah, remember that one. Because mm-hmm. Kevin didn't like Bill Watts. Yeah, you know, I wasn't he, a big fan myself. Yeah, a lot of people weren't. So, or Kip Fry. Oh, really? I like well, everybody. <laughs> what, 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 what was uh, what, what was wrong with Kip Fry? Because I've heard his name. He didn't have any idea what he was doing. Yeah. And we we went to do a press conference for the South Carolina class we were going to do over there, and it was a tag team tournament. We were bringing in people from across the world, and I was the producer for that segment where they announced all the teams and everything with Gene Okerlund starting it off, and then Dusty Rhodes uh, being involved with it. And, Loved Dusty from the very beginning. We got along great and miss him to this day. Yeah. He was absolutely terrific to work with. And what a crazy fun golf partner. We did many rounds. But anyway, <laughs> uh, Kip Fry goes, hey, uh, shouldn't we set our cameras off, you know, not quite in center because, you know, all the press that would be here and all that. It's like, we're putting on the event, dude. You think we wouldn't get first dibs on exactly where we put our cameras? I said, no, we're going to put it right in the center. You know, just stupid stuff like that. You know, we're just thinking but not thinking. It was just, yeah, it was just a bizarre I, little trip as to why he was even there. Was I, I actually saw him, you know, because on the WWE Network, they have, you know, three seasons of WWE Saturday Night. Okay. So he's on there on an episode of WWE Saturday Night. Jim Ross says, let's welcome Mr. Kip Alvin Fry. So he comes out there, and I'm like, well, why, why is this even happening? No, yeah. no wonder you're getting We killed. wondered why. We didn't, had no idea as to why he was even there. He yeah. didn't do anything. Right. We didn't, at least that we saw. We just kept on doing what we did, you know. We tried to do our best no matter what, who regime was in there, even uh, even with the Bill Watts era. Yeah. And, uh, we, we had great people from Turner Broadcasting, too, that the crews that we had, man, they were the best in the world. 
and I'll put them up against anybody and take anybody on with uh, with crews like we had. I'll tell you, they were terrific. You know, people, and, and I've heard Kevin Nash say this too, and I and I have to disagree, and one hundred percent. There was a point in time where I thought, as a fan, watching the two shows, especially during the Monday Night War. Mm-hmm. The WCW product just looked way better than the WWF's. It just uh-huh. it looked smoother. It just it just w, I mean you would look at the WWF show and it looked like crap. Oh, Especially uh-huh. when when Monday Night Raw when when they had those cardboard red letters as a set and then you turn over to TNT and Nitro and you got the big WCW letters and it just I mean and, and then the pyro the pyrotechnics the the, the flames coming through the uh, the ring oh, that they that would was rip a guy off named later. Hildebrand, okay. Uh, who did all those? Keith, well, a lot of those for a long time. Keith Hildebrand, uh, also from Ohio, <laughs> Cincinnati. Yeah. Fan. Ohio. Happy birthday, Keith! Just the other day. But yeah, he was terrific. Like I said, um, the people that even did like moving around the things inside the truck and all that—they were just awesome. And I'm, I'm not going to take anything away from WWE because. They're people, too. I mean, they're tremendous. And every time I got to work with them, like, you know, when I was with Deep South Wrestling with Jody Hamilton and Bill DeMont, uh, Hugh Morris, and training people like The Miz and Kofi Kingston and all them, um, we really had a terrific time there. But, man, they, they always treated me very nice, very nicely, and even Vince McMahon did. And they're top-notch professionals also. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they're the top dog, obviously, in the yeah. industry. But it's just, WCW's just, it's just, if you, if, I mean, especially the way they've taken that, I mean, when I look at Nitro right now and all the stuff they've done to it on the network as far as, you know, just clearing it up and cleaning it up and all that stuff, it looks yeah. like it was produced yesterday. Mm. Because wow. it looks, it just, you didn't have to do anything to it, really. Yeah, well, to, a lot of that, a lot of Nitro was, done under duress that's for sure because a lot of times they just didn't have a plan and like you wouldn't even have like uh the rest of the show like you're already like two segments in and you know it just kind of went by the seat of the pants sometimes and that's not my that's not how i'd like to do it but those guys were able to get it done and a lot of that on the air stuff i didn't really have much to do with because i did most of the feature production backstage and like anywhere hogan and Flair went primarily. That's the stuff that I, I I was involved with. The features that were done in interviews, um, music videos, um, stuff, history packages, and things like that. Pretty good stuff. So Scott Hall comes into the company. Mm-hmm. He came down. Lakin, um, Lakin, Georgia comes down through there. Comes down through the crowd. Larry Zabisco says, "Why the Why the hell would you have him come through the set?" If he comes through the entrance where he's like he works here, have him come through the crowd. So Scott comes in, does the famous promo, you won a war, you got a war. Mm-hmm. Kevin Nash comes in after Scott, you know, this is where, you know, look at the adjective play, that whole, you know, thing. And, and, they're, and they're the outsiders. And for that few weeks on, on WWE television, I mean, they're out there. I mean, it looked, it looked real. It, looked it did. I'll tell you, it was great. Yeah. yeah. He loved it. Everybody loved it. Yeah, and it was, and it's just like it, you can you can clearly see WCW was turning a corner, and then it finally came ahead. July seventh, nineteen ninety six, Daytona Beach, the Ocean Center, Bash mm-hmm. Beach, the mm-hmm. the three on three. It was you know the Outsiders and the Mystery Man versus Macho Man, Sting, Lex Luger. Were you at Bash to Beach that night? Oh, absolutely, yeah. 
what what was what was the atmosphere in there once Hulk Hogan came down and and dropped the leg on Randy Savage, and the place just I mean we we see it now on the video just the crowd going the, you know the, well, I, look, I always look back now because I've seen the match a hundred times <laughs> always pay attention to the crowd. Yeah, the crowd and the crowd. One guy is like pushing his friend, like, "Oh, I told you." Then the other people are like, "What the hell?" And then the mm-hmm. other guys like cheering. It's a very strange reaction that's going on in the building. But you were there, so yep. I mean, how was it? Wow, that was a great night. When Craig Leathers came to me, I worked directly under Craig, and he directed the Nitro shows. He goes, "I think you're going to want to step in the truck for this one." Oh, wow. Because a lot of times, you know, I would like kind of mill around the back and I wouldn't see half the matches sometimes. <laughs> I'd, yeah. I'd be talking to somebody or we'd be setting up another interview or, you know, we had all kinds of stuff to do all the time, which is great. I love the job. Right. But this time he said, you're going to want to be in the truck for this one. I was like, oh, cool. Something's good. going to go down. So we went there and uh, I stood behind Craig and them. And I forget who was actually TDing probably uh, Rick Fancher Rocket. And uh, to see Hogan come down the aisle like that, and then, like you said, drop the leg, it was pandemonium in a good way. And we couldn't have asked for a better reaction. Do you know, um, i got a question here. Do you know of anybody else besides Hulk Hogan and Sting that were considered to be the third man? Yeah, Sting. No, not that I know of. I mean, Sting, you know, he was the one that's going to do it if Hulk didn't, as far as I knew. Um, And right away, the reaction was so terrific. You know, we got to then do the NWO promos. Yeah, it changed changed my life, you know. Yeah, we're going to get into that right now because the NWO, Hogan says the new world order of wrestling, brother, and all that, which is something Larry Zabisco said a couple of days before on Nitro. Oh. He says we're going to see a new world order this Sunday. Yeah, know? that was Kevin Sullivan's line, by the way. Yeah. Kevin Sullivan, yeah. I don't think he gets the credit that he deserves for a lot of the good, good um, stuff that was involved with the NWO, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, we, we he, hear he, thought, he thought of the name, as far as I remember. So the the first promos for the NWO, I've I've heard Kevin ask this a lot. He says the the way they looked at it was the the initial I guess six weeks or whatever that they were the outsiders. They wanted to be real, and it was like the big um, rap war going on between the East Coast and the West Coast, Death Row Records and all that versus Bad Boy. That's what Hall and Nash were. You bring Hulk Hogan into the mix, you know Hulk Hogan's promo sound, Neil. You know what you're gonna do, brother, and all that. So you bring him in, you you put him in the sound stage. You were there, sound stage, the very first promo for the for the NWO. How does that go? And and what happened? Because obviously something happened. Because Kevin says this ain't working. Well, one of the things that we were able to get which is kind of cool looking at first, you'll see the NWO logo that breaks across our bodies. Yes. And I just, I thought that'd be a good idea. And Jeff Orenstein kindly put together that from his lighting people. And, you know, they burn all the.
they would have lost Neil there for a second. Sorry about that, dudes. No problem. That's, t- that's TV, man. That's live TV. Yeah, I, I remember one time that happened uh, where the – and hopefully this won't happen again. I don't know what to say. <laughs> I'm not feeling fully charged. I'll let you know that. All right. Uh, looking okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. But that happened one time when they were at Panama City, and I just thought that that would have been a, a really good opportunity for them to act as if the NWO did it. But it just – I even emailed them and, and texted them because I knew that they were kind of in a panic mm-hmm. about that. But uh, they didn't use that, but that would have been a good one. That would have been pretty, yeah, that would have been, yeah. That was just a thought. Yeah, that would have been good. So, um, before we, before you, uh, we lost you there, we were talking about the, uh, the the promos and all that. But before we get to the promos, I actually want to talk real quick about two things, the logo and the music. So, who designed the logo? Where did it come from? Because um, there's, there's actually two versions of this logo. There's this one here that the WWE produces on the t-shirts that I hate. And then there's the other one. Now, you, you, the other one has, um, how do I explain it? It's, it's, it looks a little bit grittier. It's the one that you actually use when you, you know when you did the promos, and it'll say the following announcement paid for by the New World Order, that one? Right. Mm-hmm. They don't use, they don't put that one on the t-shirts anymore for some reason. They just use this one. And oh, I really? Yeah, I don't, I don't get that. Like, it's, it's the, it's the wrong logo. It may last a lot longer or something like that because of the thickness of the paint or, you know, because of the thickness of the letters or something. I, I'm just guessing. I don't know. Yeah, I just think the WWE just doesn't know the hell I they're doing. t-shirts. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> so where did – who who designed the logo, the the logo, and also the, the song, the music, it's, uh, the NWO music. It's called Rock House, Frank Shelley. Mm-hmm. Where did all these things come from? The – logo was designed by a lady that's a graphic artist at Disney and Disney Universal. I think Disney. Okay. Uh, she's now a uh, real estate person and we actually found her recently. And Really? Yeah, we didn't know who she was for the longest time. But I remember Guy Evans sent me a, a link to her stuff and that was pretty cool and to find her again. But Rob Wright, who was a senior editor with us, he was then went on to work with CNN to produce the promos for um, Larry King Live. Okay. And that was the guy who helped design the logo. And that was done while we were in Florida during the Olympics in 96. And the song is actually SCD 115 track 14. Oh, that's wow. How, that's, how you, that's how you say it in the language of reporting it to the various music companies that need to know what day is when. That was one of the songs. We we picked out three of them. There's the editor, Tim Scott, who was with me. He only freelanced with us when we were in Disney. When we okay. took over Disney MGM, we took over the whole edit facility to still work while we were down there because they were afraid that we won't be able to get the shows out if we stayed here in Atlanta. Yeah. So they rented out a whole apartment. Well, not an apartment complex, but a hotel area that was formerly an apartment complex. And we all went down to Disney for 10 weeks. But that was, that was one of the three songs that we, we let Eric listen to. Uh-huh. And um, he chose the one you hear over and over. So 
do you happen to? I mean, this is '96. You probably don't know. Do you do you remember what the other two songs that were, that were in consideration? You no, know? I, no. I have. I mean, they were a little bit different vibe. Yeah. But I mean, I think I think we all kind of like that song anyway. I mean, you know, it was one of those things where it just it was different, and I thought that it was fit there. Like especially the, the, the some of the ring outs and stuff like that that they had in this song, I thought it really fit their vibe and uh, worked out really well. Yeah, no, it, it it worked out damn well to this day. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? I mean, this this right here, this logo, it, it's still in the top ten merchandise yeah. for WWE today. That is crazy. Yeah, you know, man. People, people were, don't know. They did a terrific job designing that, and the just the rawness of it all, and it's just so unusual. One thing that we did have a problem with though. I thought WCW was unfortunately a lot of us that had kind of backgrounds where we were in television, we had style books and things like that. And just like any car company, you know, Ford writes their text the same way every time. That's one thing that I thought we could have done a lot better job with. They just kind of went off in no man's land with the merchandise and people just got, they came up with suggestions and designs and they took them, which is just not the way to do it. We, uh, we that was out of our control as production people. We would have had the Sting logo looking exactly the same way across all formats, and then eventually into social media. But they were just kind of doing what they wanted to do on their own, and I didn't really like it at all. I never really thought that was very professional looking or acting. But you know, I wasn't in charge of that. Hmm. So the 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 initial um, NWO front well, hold on, we got a question. So was Neil there for the parking lot brawl? And if he was, how crazy was it really? I'm assuming they were talking about the um, when Hall and Nash attacked Disney MGM Studios on their own. Oh, one of my favorites. Yeah. How? how, how, how yeah. I That's produced that segment. Long darted Ray Mysterio into the trailer. Lovely. I produced that segment. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, it was all staged from the very beginning. And what we did was we gathered together Keith Mitchell, um, Craig Leathers, Kevin Sullivan, and myself. And we gathered in one of those trailers, the one that you were seeing in the video. Yeah. And I said, okay, so what's the plan? What what are we thinking about doing here? And usually what we do is we find out where the beginning was and what the end was and then fill in the middle and kind of figure out how to get from point A to point B and then maybe have some kind of high spot in the middle somewhere. So we walked the premises back there and kind of figured out, okay, starting it off was going to be the Kevin Nash catching Ray Mysterio lawn dart. And then just the format after that was all kind of done like Hill Street Blues. Mm-hmm. You ever saw that series? Anyway, Rope is an homage to Rope, which is a film that Alfred Hitchcock did where it's all one shot the whole way through. And you have people carrying certain people to the other scenes. And the way we did it was we walked through it and then we figured out which wrestlers were going to be involved and what scenes of that section. And then we talked to them like individually and kind of told them what their little part of the scene was. And if you watch it really closely, you can kind of tell where we go after this high spot where somebody got hit in the head, over the head of the arm or something like that at the very beginning. And then 
it progressed into another scene, which progressed into another scene. And if you really kind of break it down, you can see where we made the transitions at. And people knew that they they weren't supposed to start their scene until they were triggered by what happened in the prior scene. So that's kind of how that progression worked and why it looks so flawlessly smoothly going into the next scene, because they knew exactly where they're supposed to start, exactly where the camera was, and then what line they delivered as soon as the camera was on them. So we, yeah. we really practiced that to death, and it paid off, and I think is one of my proudest producing accomplishments. But what made it happen mm. was, I think, the authenticity of the way the people acted that weren't wrestlers. I said, look, the only way we're going to pull this off, people know wrestling's a work. They know it's somewhat of a put-on or a hoax. Mm. The people that they're going to be looking at is not, they're not the wrestlers, because they, they are already suspect of them. But the production people, they're going to be looking, how do you react? And if you can act like you're in a chaotic mindset and portray that, it's going to put it over, and that's what's going to make it happen. It's going to be us production people making it not so much the wrestlers, even though obviously they played an integral part. But if you watch it, the chaos and the looks in people's faces that were the production people, what sells that to the nth degree and made it look real and made the people that were around the Disney area call in and jam the daggone Disney phone system because they thought it was a real riot and it looked like it. And so that was so that was a legit the the fire department and all these people EM, EMS is coming that was actually legit that was that was well legit. no they they knew it was going to happen those okay. people did and they knew yeah they knew that was all going to go down because you don't really want to just jump in an ambulance and you know do yeah. it because not to say that we haven't done that before right right <laughs> <laughs> I actually had to follow Hogan with the great greatest cameraman Bill Tinsley we had to follow Hogan one time or, or Flair one time in one of their matches and we. Uh, did actually run a red light. Luckily, there wasn't a whole lot of traffic. Oh wow! Because they were all at the arena. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, that was uh, orchestrated, man. We practiced the crap out of that thing with the way the camera moved, and I, I don't even remember actually who was running the camera at the time. It was probably a Steadicam. It was probably done by uh, Snake, who was on my podcast. We told that story or a story that's similar to it. And he did a lot of the Goldberg entrances where you see Goldberg like walk or almost all the way around the building. Oh, wow. He was okay. involved in a lot of those shots. And, wow, we were so happy with that. I can't tell you how great we felt when we saw the limo driving away with Macho Man reaching into the um, moonroof. Yeah. And luckily, NWO, of course, held onto his arm and made sure he stayed on the top of the car. And, man, did it look good. No, it it. it... You know, man, it's just that that story is just the fact that these guys were invading WCW and the fact that you had heels and baby faces now working mm-hmm. together. And I remember that scene, it, you know, it starts off with Jimmy Hart running out there trying to get Lex Luger's attention. They go to the yeah. back. You see the you see um, the first person that gets knocked out is um, uh, Buff Bagwell, Marcus Bagwell. He okay. gets out. Scotty Riggs is next. I know that was off to the right. Yeah. And towards where they came in from to get the people in the backstage. And then you, yeah, pan right or pan left with the camera. And that's where Marcus Bagwell was. 
because we started seeing the lawn dart and then came back over. Yeah, it's really, really cool to relive that. Yeah. And so, to just know how good the production people were on selling that man as actors. Wow. No, it was, it was legit, man. Like, you watch that stuff now. It's, and people, somebody who's not a fan, they go, they'll look at that and be like, you know, that is cool. You know, yeah. that's cool. You don't see that today. We get in trouble with that. Like, yeah. like several other shoots we did. Yeah, I bet. Um, so the going back real quick to the, the first NWO promo that yep. you guys did, um, Kevin Ash, is once, like I said, Kevin Ash came out and said basically that they have their style. Hogan has his style. He says that this feels like wrestling to me. Yeah. And I think it might have been you he might have been talking to. He said he was talking to a production guy. He says, I, I can make it work. I'll do just do sound bites and all that. Yeah. Yeah. So luckily, Avid editing, nonlinear editing has come into play. And we were really liking using that way of rearranging segments and sections yeah. on the timeline because we didn't have to do it so linear like next to each other. We could really jumble it around and mix and match. And that's what made the NWO promos work so good because we had control of how long people talked, what they talked about, and how they got from one section to another. And that was what made it work ultimately as far as keeping it balanced. Was it hard for um, for, for, for Hulkster to go – to play this role as Hollywood because he had been doing the whole coding and say your prayers, each vitamins and all that. Now you, it's an entirely different thing. Now you get Hollywood Hogan, you got the, the beard and all that. What was he hard to produce as far as you got to play the bad guy? And he wasn't, I mean, like I said, he was great to produce. He was always yeah. kind of open for whatever we had to say and ask him. I don't know if you remember the one promo that we did with the, ball that was a beach ball that had the world on it yeah 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 and yeah. Had spray, spray paint, paint. No, yep. on all that and well, i wish i still had that beach ball but yeah he was always open for what we had to say and to him and what suggestions we made yeah i think it's probably difficult because that's more of a uh, i guess you might say a sound bite type atmosphere on getting clever zings in and that was not Hogan's deal. He was more of a <clears throat> long storyteller. Uh-huh. And that was a totally, the soundbite era had been you know, kind of perfected by people like Bill Clinton. And uh, that's really what the NWO promos were. It's little soundbites, little thoughts that led into big message. So before you became the actual voice behind the paid announcements, I remember hearing someone else's voice. Now, it was it was a guy, but he was so very bland. He was like, the following announcement has been paid for by the New World Order. Was that you or somebody else? No, I don't know. I'm not sure about the progression of the voice other than I do remember where we figured out. Uh, I don't know where it was, but I remember – I think it was in the Disney parking lot, but I'm not sure. And I know it was, I know Kevin Nash was, uh, I know Kevin Sullivan was there and Craig Leathers and Keith Mitchell were there. And I had said that my opinion was that we can't have people that have already been in our crew of announcers doing this 
or if we do have somebody who's with us, we got to break them off somehow and make them turn heel. And I said that I had a guy that I thought had a voice that fit the sound of the NWO. And they said, who is it? I said, well, it's this guy. And I couldn't remember the name at the time, but I did since find his name. And unfortunately, he's passed away since. But his name was Kevin Eubanks, and he worked for a radio station that was an alternative radio station, mm-hmm. who Jimmy Barron actually worked for, who worked backstage with us a little bit. He was actually on the air with the, that, that guy that did promos, but it was for 99X. And it was like, Craig Leather said, well, how does it sound? What does he sound like? I said, he sounds like 99X. I said, it's real breathy. It's really kind of like that. It's um, somewhat monotone, but very breathy. And I thought that was very unusual. He goes, why don't you do it? I'm like, okay. So that's how I got the job. I was voluntold. Yeah, and that and that is just iconic, man. Like, that's one of the things. I'm, I'm jumping ahead real quick because when the, when the WWF brought the NWA in 2002, right? That's what was missing. The the, the paid announcements were, were missing, and, and the, the Neil Pruitt voice of, of the NWO. Yeah, that that's a big. I, I can't listen to Voodoo Child today without hearing the, the, the voiceover. You know, that's 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 shoot, that's legit. Yeah, well, there's a lot of people involved. One of the questions that came up the other day, yeah, um, was did they change the NWO music all the time when people came in? It's like, yeah, because this great audio person, the A ones that we had, starting with like Rick Wallace, mother. Um, these guys that were really so terrific that taught Joe Sparacino his craft, he actually had these cart machines and he would play like New World Order and he would hit these buttons and trigger all these different cassettes to go off the laugh, the For Life, um, New World Order, all that, the biggest icon in wrestling. All those were often triggered off of these little carts that would be like and look like an eight track is what they look like. Yeah. And they're on a bank of those, and he would be able to press those at different times and make each entrance one one of a kind. So that's one of the questions I have for you. You just mentioned that soundbite that that for life. Whose voice is that? Who who did that? Do you remember? I believe it just Parasino. Okay. It did the audio for that. Okay. For life, he was the yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah, I, iconic. Actually. It was funny because on one of my podcasts on Neil Pruitt's Secrets of WCW Nitro, which is on iTunes Now at Radio with Guy Evans, he said, do you know who did part of it? And he, I said, I don't know. I thought it was my voice. And it was actually Eric's voice doing one of those that I yeah. didn't realize. Yeah, he, yeah, Eric actually did the, um, the, the, the one NWO. Yeah, yeah, that, I thought that might yeah. have been me, but that was Eric. Yeah, yeah. that was Eric. No, we know, we know that one, and then we know because yours is that do 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 do. Well, that I'm telling you, man, uh, it's a mark out thing for me, dude. Like that's you, yeah, you see right there. <laughs> yeah, that's that is the that's the shit. Honestly, it made it very efficient for me to be able to produce myself. Yeah, exactly. You know that that's what really helped too because. We did things on such odd hours and different times. You never knew when you're going to need something. And I just had a lot of fun doing it, man. It was fun for the NWO sold out. Absolutely. Making, making up those lines and making fun of people. And 
it was it was a uh, it was a joy. Yeah, your voice that speaking of the NWO sold out pay per view real quick. Your voice is all over that show. Yeah, you're you're, you're all over. You know the the WCW wrestlers they don't have music. Um, I don't know that that pay per view man is kind of it's weird. Um, it was a mess, dude. Are you yeah. kidding me? Yeah, I'm a, I'm an NWO guy, but it's terrible. Yeah, that, I, but I, I don't they, think they, they, they didn't involve us production people enough. That was one of the reasons why it sucked. Oh really? No, we we did the. So, I mean, do you want to go the road you want to go sure, to? Yeah, sure. So, the NWO sold out. We did the iconic Eric speech in Chicago. Okay. A week or two before. And all the New World Order were there, and Kemper Rogers was an integral part of directing a lot of that. And the lighting again with Jeff Borenstein and Lost him again. Yeah, NWO promo. Yeah. The, the NWO awesome. sold out and did that in Chicago. Right. And uh, had a good time doing that. And then we had the three the three um, people on the screen, Hogan, Hall, and Nash, on, after the, that intro played and in living color. That was, was kind of cool. Yeah. We, peeled, we peeled it back and showed it living color. Um. I don't think the three videos that played at the same time on the three screens was really um, shot as well as I'd like to have seen it. Um, but we were kind of pressed for time, and there was a lot, lot happening. We, you know, we had did, we had done the uh, the garbage truck entrances the night before, and yeah. uh, pre-taped. Why and garbage trucks? I have no idea, but I thought it was kind of. Clever, I don't know. It was, it was different for sure, and it was cold out oh, there. Oh, I bet, I bet. It was just it, amazing that they could pull it off. Yeah, you can see the the, the breath when they're out there talking. It's like yeah, it was like but, ten below or something. Oh man! I got up the next morning and edited. I, I stayed in my hotel room and basically uh, pressed my bare butt against the window to let people know the moon was out and I wasn't out there. <laughs> <laughs> and what well, uh, Mark uh, Mike Miller and I edited that machine to machine the following day. And thank God he was so good at it. Mike Miller was one of the directors that we had too, and a technical director. Yeah, man. Um, he really pulled that thing together. Yeah, that, I don't know that, um, those sold out shows to me, they just never really clicked. Like, no, I, I, I don't agree. know what it was. It's hey, just, dude, I was just thanking, uh, thanking God, Frank, that I didn't have to produce an NWO show because you know, I'd have been pulled into that one. And, I just thought it was kind of one trick pony, honestly. I have to agree with you. Like even even with how how the brand was and just everybody was into it, it kind of showed a little bit. Yeah, we like the NWO, but damn it, we don't like them that much because they did that horrible contest with the women and that's the worst. That's yeah, worse. it yeah. wasn't our idea. Yeah, the production people would have we would have nixed that man. Well, I'll tell you what, Neil, you, your your voiceovers. For the WCW wrestlers was the funniest stuff. You called uh, what was it? You called Eddie Guerrero, uh, a Mexican, Mexican jumping jump dude. Scene. Eddie Guerrero. Yeah, it probably wasn't too nice, but I, you know, I, and the funny part it's was wrestling. I really, I really like those guys so much. You know, yeah, that was kind of weird to to do that, but I think they kind of got a kick out of it too. Well, it's, yeah, they. It's, the Finder Brothers was the best reaction without question. No, it was. It was funny because me being from Ohio and then from Michigan, we always had this, you know, kind of. We still do to this day. I mean, I see them every now and then. Uh, Scott and Rick, they live not too far from me, so 
we still see each other every now and then. And uh, I remember Scott like looking up like, oh man, yeah, yeah. He was, was kind of legitimately pissed. I thought the two Michigan dog faced mutts. Right. That that was funny. And uh, see, uh, Jericho who should have stayed in junior hockey or something. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> that was good stuff. That was so fun. Oh man. That was good stuff. That's that's probably probably the best part of the show because I mean <laughs> honestly because I mean I mean I out of that entire that out of that entire that entire show the best match on the on the card was probably the Steiners versus Hall and Nash and Six versus Eddie Guerrero that ladder match Hogan mm-hmm. and the Giants sucked yeah it's like it's it, it was it was garbage but I like, uh, I like the uh, the lipstick camera that we had on the Sticked. Yeah, that was kind of cool. Camera, that was clever. Yeah, yeah, that Other was kind of. Other than that, cool. man, yeah, the, that whole thing on, uh, that whole thing with the women uh, pageant was just as bizarre as it gets. I don't know whose idea that was. It was I don't know. And then, then a couple of those people that were so-called talent, they were kind of, you know, coming in and doing cameo appearances or something. Yeah. Boy, these, these weren't these weren't very entertaining, man. No, I, I didn't like it like that. You can skip through a lot of that stuff if you want to. You just get down to here's here's where you know where where this show sacks up, right? So the NWO comes out to to majority of the NWO members come out to the B team music, and then when Hall and Nash come out, then you hear the the rock house, the, the NWO music starts playing. You're like, okay, now you now the big boys coming out because here he goes. <laughs> yeah. You know, and that yeah. and that intro you did for Hogan, you said, uh, what do you say, uh, movie star, uh, the, the biggest icon in wrestling. Yeah, see that shit right there. That's what I'm talking about. That that right there. That that's <laughs> Mark House stuff, man. Um, real quick, uh, so we we further go down the line here with the the NWO angle. The NWO splits into two, black and white, right and black. Wolfpack, and that's to me as a fan watching this. I'm, I'm seeing the progression of the NWO in 1998. I'm looking at WCW as a whole in 1998, and it's really getting kind of rough over there. Because especially if you look over at the WWF and what they're doing with Stone Cold Steve Austin, oh, yeah. and you got DX and you got The Rock coming up there, Mr. McMahon, and all that stuff's happening. What what's the what's the situation over like in WCW? Because I know you I know you know you have your stuff going on, but is it really is it chaotic? Is like Eric really losing control here at this point? People coming in, telling him what to do. I think it's a little bit chaotic. Um, I'm sure some people, you know, like Kevin probably had his ear, and I don't, I don't know that uh, they had a great direction at the time. And the NWO Wolfpack was just kind of bizarre to me. And I think Eric probably said it best on one of his podcasts with with uh, uh, Conrad, where yeah. he talked about he. It was such a lightning in the bottle. He wanted to keep making those bottles full of lightning, but it's just they didn't really know where to end it, and they wanted to keep it going. And I understand why. I mean, you know, you you have success with something, you want to, you know, milk it, and they just really never had an end to it. And it just kind of when it started factioning and out, out like that, and then the LWO and whatever, blue W or whatever, yeah. you know, every, everything WO, it just, it just went nowhere. I mean, it just didn't work. Yeah. And then it just, WW is just, it's just 
tanking. It's just declining as we go through 99 and 2000. And then finally, uh, 2001, you know, Eric Bischoff is attempting to, to purchase a company uh, with Fusion Media, and they're trying to buy it for um, it's an estimated $64 million to buy WCW in the videotape library and all that stuff. Um, it doesn't happen. Um, a certain Stinky McMahon comes into play and and buys the company, buys the assets to, to WCW. That was pathetic. Yeah. Four million? The Dagon yeah. library is worth four million. Yeah. I mean, we had every tape that they ever produced and every show in the in the library. I remember help, helping uh, kind of we got those revolving library shelves things and Bob Wrestler Breeze, who was the person who took over in the audio booth after I did to do all the interviews, stuff like that was a librarian. And yeah, we had everything and it's just all lined up for a network, you know, and continuous round the clock wrestling. And to sell it for four million dollars, somebody got their pockets filled with money. And I'd like to know who. Well, you know, so so there's a theory about that. So Kevin Sullivan, I heard him say this one time. He said basically that Eric Bischoff and Houston had been asking WCW for the books and to do do, uh, due diligence. And somehow the WWF got the book. That's how the sale came about so quick. You know, they started on Friday, and I think they got a deal, I think maybe Sunday night. And then that's when they announced, you know, Vince shows up on Nitro on Monday. Something about Brad Siegel. I think he might have had some kind of connection with with McMahon back in the day or something like that. It was, yeah. yeah, it was just very, very weird to me um, that Vince it got it. And it just doesn't logically make sense in business. Yeah, it doesn't. And it, it, it just for this guy to come in, Jamie Counter to come in and say we're going to cancel the programming. For I mean, this is what, and this is what pisses me off to this day about this. WCW and Jim Crockett Promotions. Built Superstation TBS. It built the Turner Network. Without it, the Turner Network, there would have been there would have been nothing. Without WCW or wrestling, there would have been no the Turner Network. Put it that way. It, exactly, yeah. it did. So for a guy to come in, and, and I think honestly, it, it, to me, it. it's it all started with the first merger with uh, with Time Warner yeah. and Turner. It started there. I think yeah. Ted and you were there. Ted started yeah. losing control. And didn't did. realize how much control he was actually losing. And they, they were the only game in town, so they thought they were the greatest at what they did. Right. And, hey, when you're one of one, yeah, you can be number one. Yeah. But they really didn't have a clue of what was going on with our business. And it's ultimately proved itself. Yeah. So the um, the, the final WWE Nitro, um, mm-hmm. actually it was, it was two shows. Um, so they had the... Um, the very last Thunder, which what was your what was your opinion of Thunder? Uh, Thunder gets a lot of flack. Yeah, it was um, a big show. Um, yeah, second show. I really didn't have much to do with it. Um, okay, I had things that aired on there. Yeah, but I really, you know, I, you kind of get involved with your own stuff and trying to get your stuff done, and the other things you just kind of got to let go. And I really never watched it much. Yeah, uh, I know it gave some people a break, which is terrific, and younger talent and things like that, but. Yeah, I, I can't really speak on it because I don't really know that much about it. Yeah, there's been no Best of Thunder DVD put out by WWE, and there's a reason why. Mm. Um, 
so when it when it comes back to to Nitro, which was uh, you were on, did it get to a point in time? I mean, you were you were there in in uh, you were there in late '99 when Vince Russo came over from the WWF and to come yep. over to WCW. How, how was Russo? What, what's your opinion of, of Vince Russo? It's not very high. Oh really? <laughs> no, I just I never saw it from the very beginning. I just I didn't understand. I mean, I heard he had they had success at WWE for a little bit, but it was the longest time before I even met the guy. And I talked to him for a few minutes, and like that was about it. You know, he didn't ask me anything about me, or he did like the promos. I kind of remember him saying something about that. But other than that, I mean, really, very little next to no discussion. And not to say that I needed to be catered or anything, or yeah, you know, but I figured, you know, I thought I had a big part of success of the nwo with the, with the cruise we had but you know he just kind of passed it off it seemed like and i some of the stuff that he came up with i mean i thought for real and i've told this on several podcasts i thought the guy was getting paid by vince <laughs> I, no really i mean to make stuff look that bad and have have that crazy of ideas that just really didn't seem to have any sense to him whatsoever. I, I thought he was getting paid, honestly. So you thought so? So you thought that? I'm not uh, sure if he was. So you thought that basically Vince sent Vince down pretty much to sabotage. Just finish would him that off. make sense to you? It, 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 it kind of would. But it makes sense to you to have somebody come in there and turn your lights off and take the NWO sign down and you know throw away your backgrounds and tip them over. I mean, doesn't. Vince is a businessman, yeah. and he if he knows you're reeling, I mean, I mean, Vince it's Russo, so easy for him to get in his ear. He had his own phone number. It's so easy to have a, a conversation. Say, hey, look, here, here's what we're gonna do. You know, this thing ain't gonna last that long anyway. So why don't we just, you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, you know, make Hogan look like it's he's an idiot, uh, bury him and. You know, put the belt on yourself and bring people like David Arquette in. What a mess, Dave! It's embarrassing. So you're not. So, so I, I take it those um, uh, the year 2000 and 2001 is not a very good year years for for Neil Pruitt in WCW. No, I mean, what was I doing other than okay? Well, so what do you want me to do now? Yeah, I'll do it. And, but you know, I guess um, too Frank, I was spoiled a bit with the input that I had. Yeah, with, with the NWO, you know. Um, I but really... he brought the NWO. But but he brought the NWO NWO back NWO uh, two thousand the silver and black. So you had you had nothing to do with the yeah. Well, a lot black. of the stuff that was backstage, you know, if it was backstage yeah. live kind of look, a lot of times I wasn't even there, so I oh, don't wow. even know what happened. I, you know, but that that's the kind of cool thing about some of the stuff we got to do where we'd set up ideas and productions and the way that we thought would be good to go. Yeah. And then they, people carried them forward after that. And so some of the skits like six being flair and things like that, I didn't really work on those. Um, mostly the really, I should say, uh, multi-cut slick looking productions, what we did back at the office. And I would only go out like if Hogan had something to do in particular or, he was at his house and he didn't need to be interviewed or whatever, you know, whatever that involved, like getting called at the last second to go to Charleston or the NWO birthday party, things, things like that, that seemed like they needed something else other than just a one camera 
following somebody backstage or in in a little area backstage. So that's kind of Macho Man, you know, talking about Diamond Dallas Page in Nashville. That's things like that is what I worked on mostly. So, Bash of the Beach 2000. Were you, were you at that at that show? The, the infamous um, Hogan, Jeff Jarrett lays down Hogan. Yeah. Uh, you, you, what, what, did you, what did you think of that? Because they, they recently did a Dark Side of the Ring episode about Bash to Beast 2000. Some people think it was a shoot. Some people think it was a work. Vince Russo claims that it all went to plan. Hogan and Bischoff say it didn't. Hogan actually ends up suing WCW for this, and the judge throws it out because uh, Vince Russo, in character, went after the character of Hulk Hogan and not Terry Bollea. So... Let's say you. What do you think about this situation? I mean, just, there's people that today think that Montreal was a, a work. I mean, it could be. Uh, they all could be. They're really good at working people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Paid so much, you know. Right. Uh, I kind of felt bad for Jeff Jarrett because of his involvement with Russo in any way. Um, even knowing the guy, you know. Oh, man. It kind, of, it kind of puts a little taint on him because I, I really like Jeff. I think he's a great guy. And still yeah. do. I think it's a terrific person. Uh, but for him to have to lay down and do that, I just it just felt really strange, dude. I'm telling you. It's like the finger poke of doom. And, and the, and oh, what did you think about the thing. finger poke of doom? What did you think about that? I really wasn't all that appreciative of Goldberg anyway. Uh, I thought they could have they could have taken a lot of people and put in that position, I think. I mean, yeah, he, he made it happen, which is good uh, for him. And the rise was not just because of him. It was people allowed that had to happen, you know, and that's how people wrestling or wrestlers are made, you know, but I did, I did really got to say this every time I talk about him, I appreciated all he did for the kids that were in wheelchairs and all the make a wish foundation stuff that he did, man. That guy did so much for the people that were underprivileged or people that were in need of a friend and, um, really needed to be uplifted. He did a great job with all that. I really appreciated that from from the day one. I just thought that there's a lot of people that could have done that and they could have put in that position and made it happen. Yeah, it, it's yeah. It, it's just like he came out That's of no nowhere. No personal opinion, though. Hey, you know. No, I got you. No, he, his, success, his success cannot be denied. Uh, yeah. No, and people did a fantastic job uh, making it happen. They did. But then later on, he got exposed in the WWE, you know, because they couldn't recreate what they did down in, in Atlanta with him at, at WCW. Did you, uh, so so real quick, um, the last WCW Monday Nitro was in, uh, it was in Panama, Panama City. City. Yeah, and, and it was uh, the final, night, the Night of Champions. Mm-hmm. Um, how was it to produce that show? That show looked very different, wasn't wasn't really heavily, no, no storylines involved or anything like that. WWF is basically taking over at this point. They're going to do the simulcast. Shane McMahon is there that night. I see Bruce Pritchard is also there. Right. Basically, you guys are doing your job, but you got Big Brother looking over your shoulder, and that Big Brother is the WWF who is the new owners. What, what was the experience like that? Um, didn't hear much from Bruce Pritchard, but I'd like to meet him. Uh, I'm sure we could talk a lot about a lot of things. Yeah. And he's a good friend of Conrad Thompson's, and I was actually the first person 
to be interviewed on Conrad Thompson's show. <laughs> really? Which was a big honor. Yeah. But the um, appearance of them, they kind of walked in the room, didn't do much, didn't really, I don't think we're in need of telling us to do our job or anything. And people just kind of were in zombie land pretty much, you know, going through the motions of knowing this is the last time we're ever going to see our great friends again, who kind of became family members of ours over the years, you know, and worked that closely together and a lot of, a lot of tears afterwards. And I remember I was standing next to Flair. Uh, we were in one room and there was just one TV there. And he just looked over there. He goes, can you believe this? Because we saw the WWE uh, lower third, you know, that's the copyright. Yeah. And I, I think Flair was done with it anyway. He's ready to move on. But as far as the production people go, you know, that was a tough day, man, for everybody. Really. Is it true that um, there was a meeting in Atlanta uh, with WWF to talk about what was going to happen as far as if they were going to bring anybody over? There, there's two stories. So it's, it's that story about the meeting in Atlanta with the WWF personnel, but there's also the story about the WCW employees at the office that basically they had, I guess they had cops there or something like that, and, and they yeah. watched people bring us. What, what yeah, like that? the last day everybody was leaving and everything. Yeah. Um, but I don't remember the – I guess the WWE did probably come down there, but, I mean, I don't remember any significant, you know, speeches that made us all feel all fuzzy and stuff like that. Cause right, right, right. It would have been good for a lot of us to be given other opportunities. And TBS actually promised a lot of us positions but never came through on any of it. Of course, uh, there's only there's only a few people that got to work eventually with uh, TBS, but uh, that's okay. I mean, I had a good run, man. I can't complain. Right. <laughs> it was a terrific time. Oh. Your your work is still being celebrated to this day. Oh, thank um, you, man. I got That's why. That's why I was yeah. able to pull it off because they did whatever it took every did day. Did you did you happen to see any of the WCW um, product that? Was it integrated into the WWF during the uh, invasion, or you just pretty much just tapped out at that point? No, I, you know, it's it's uh, I'm too close to it, man. Yeah. You know, I uh, I maybe saw little snippets here and there, but yeah, it was just it was painful, you know, because that's yeah. that's like <laughs> that's like your baby getting taken away, you know. Yeah, that that's how I feel about it, man. Even even till this day, you think about WCW, you go on the WWE Network, and like this is like. You know, this is what this is what happened. It's like it's just one of those things, man. Where like this yep. company that rose so high up, man, it's just and it fell so fast. It's like yeah, I, it's I, just, I didn't it's crazy. I didn't think I'd be looking for a job, you know, after the success what we had with that. You know, I didn't think uh, that was going to be my future, but that's how it goes. And you know, like I said, it was a good run, man. And yeah. we had so many great people. I, I really felt bad for them, especially you know, because their families, man, they relied on those paychecks. Absolutely, absolutely. So to finish up with you, uh, Neil, you you mentioned uh, earlier that you actually went to work um, with Deep South Wrestling. Mm -hmm. um, how did that come about? Who did you work with? And um, yeah, you were still in the business. Loved it. Uh, Jody Hamilton. Yep. Called me up, and I think he was not happy with the other person who was involved with the production. So I don't. I really don't think they even got the TV off the ground, and they had plenty of time to do it. Yeah. And he said, do you want to get the band back together again? I'm like, uh, of course. What's the deal? And 
we needed to produce a show and um it wasn't the same setup like OBW. We really did taped stuff and but it was an opportunity to work with Jody again because I had my first venture into wrestling was actually Deep South Championship Wrestling. Okay. Which was before WCW and uh, it was probably part of the reason why I was able to get into the wrestling business the second time because I'd worked with professional athletes on a nightly sports show that I directed called Bobox Sporting Times when I was 25. So that really helped me be around celebrities and I, I don't treat anybody any differently than uh, treat the janitor. Right. And uh, my dad said, nobody's better than you and you're no better than anybody else. And I've always carried that with me and told my son the same thing. It's just the way it is. We're all people, you know. Absolutely. We all bleed red. <laughs> yeah. It's... But it was one of those things where, you know, um, it was so fun to work with Bill DeMond again. Mm. He was a hard worker, man. The guy worked hard. And see the young talent like the Miz come through there. And, right. Um, Ryan O'Reilly, who's con and uh, working with the freaking Deacon, who's now Luke Gallows. And right. The Majors Brothers, uh, they're doing really well, too. And Jack Swagger. And boy, I could just count them name all. Them all. So many yeah. of them, I probably can't name all of them. You know, there's so many good people that really wanted to do it. And Jody was trying to do his best to keep them and make them good enough to be on TV because oftentimes WWE wanted to push people on TV too quickly, he thought. Mm-hmm. Like the great Kali and he was afraid he's going to hurt somebody and Jeez. people like that. So, yeah. yeah, it was a great experience um, because I got to do things the way I thought an independent show should run and the way it look with the minimal budget we had, we had no money to do anything. So, so WWE wasn't really that invested in Deep South. Because later, cause later on, later on, the Deep South would actually transition into Florida Championship Wrestling (FCW). Yeah. Then later on, would become NXT. Right. So, yeah. yeah they kind of. I thought they kind of did me wrong a little bit on that because they kind of milked me of information of what we should get Deep South. Yeah. Uh, as far as the switches go, the lighting package, everything. I did a lot of research on that. I got paid for it. I mean, I wasn't complaining. But they took that all and just in the middle of the night, they just took everything and left. I thought that was kind of a bullshit way of doing it and never even really talked to me much about anything because their relationship with Jody had deteriorated because he was looking out for the people and wanted them to do their best before they got into TV and makes sense. And he didn't do everything that they wanted him to do. And me being affiliated with Jody in my whole career and would have no regrets on any of that. Um, because I learned so much from him. Right. He's my mentor all the way through and good friend in WCW. And um, it was, I was at his funeral a few years back and he was instrumental in my life, man. And I wasn't going to be the one that was going to turn against whatever he, he had going on. So WWE, I think maybe they thought I was kind of cut from the same cloth because yeah, I'm somewhat old school too, because I respected the business and respected the way that the, kayfabe worked and you know as a musician or a magician show how you do your tricks and i kept that to myself until the bag the cats got let out of the bag and that's the only reason i talk sometimes the way i do about what we did because of that uh, had i been still in kayfabe i would have never say half this stuff right well vince exposed the business a long time ago and then wcw you know 
try, they expose the business as well. Some, unfortunately, you know, yeah. Unfortunately, during during the Russo era. Um, final question for you. Yes, sir. Um, so, the following announcements are paid for by the New World Order. This thing is iconic. WWE has merchandise right now with that saying on it. I don't know if you know that or not. I didn't know that. Yeah. Are you getting any royalties or anything from WWE because of this? I, I, Teddy Long is a good friend of mine. Love Teddy Long. Yeah. Tell him I said hello. I will do that. Love Teddy. We had some fun together, man. Yeah. Um, he mentioned that they don't get anything as far as the, the videos and all that stuff goes. So, say you. You were the voice of the NWO. What, what really, what, you're one of the reasons, one of the biggest, big reasons why it works. Because the, the, the guys can do their thing out in the ring, and they can cut the promos, they can wrestle and, and all that stuff. That's great. But from the production-wise, you're the voice. You're the one doing the promos, cutting them together. You, you, the, the, some of the best segments I ever saw, honestly, Thank was you. the the NWO Saturday night segments, the empty arena segments, and I'm like, you know, oh yeah, the NWO was doing that way before there was ever a pandemic, so that right. that was, that was some good stuff. Yeah, um, let me tell a little story about that real quick. Sure, sure. Um, so I grew up in a small town in Northeast Ohio, steel mill town, mm-hmm. and my two brothers and I were never able to watch wrestling as kids, so we didn't know that much about it. Right. But uh, I had a great family life and. So my cousins still live up there, and my brother still lives there now and with my mom, and we just had a terrific time. But anyway, some guy was watching the um, WWE replays of those matches you are just talking about. Yeah. And I had been able to, you know, control some of the stuff that went on with that. And I said that these two guys were from Levensburg, Ohio. Well, that's where I'm from, Levensburg, Ohio. Yeah. So some guy's watching it from in my area. He goes, hey, there's got to be a connection because nobody would even say Levensburg, Ohio. Right. So he went ahead and tracked me down. And then uh, he was a big wrestling fan. And then he introduced me to the person who was the entertainment editor for the local newspaper where I grew up. And he did an interview with me about being in wrestling and everything. That was a lot of fun. That was a big honor. So that was kind of funny that you mentioned those very matches. But I, I thought they were pretty entertaining, and Nick Patrick did a terrific job on it. I, oh. I even asked him the other day, uh, he, he does a little podcast too, and mm-hmm. asked him about um, that mask, where he got it from. And I thought, you know, he might have brought it from home or something. That, you know, his dad may have worn it, uh, you know, trying to get away from the people trying to beat him up when he was a heel or something back in the right. day when he wore his hood, right? But no, he said he just got it from somebody who was sent out to get the get the mask. <laughs> That's how no. they no, Nick Patrick. Um, as I mean, it was so obvious. It was Nick Patrick yeah. when he was. I love that obvious go. stuff, though. Yeah, yeah, it was good. It was, it was, no, it was good stuff. You know, the NWO having their own referee. Only, I, I felt bad for Nick Patrick though because he was the only referee they had for sold out. The very first yeah. sold out. That's right. So he he did he wrote that whole thing. Yeah. But um, so but, the uh, NWO voice. Yeah. So here's what is the interesting thing that um, is going to have to pay dividends they never had me under contract as a voiceover person at wcw oh really no so wwe really didn't do their due diligence on this um they didn't have me as a as a contract person for talent so they definitely owe me some money yeah yeah and i would go get it 
Yeah. You're you're all you're all over that network. I'm telling you, your your the paid announcements are still there. I mean, you're 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 saying that the following announcements are paid for by the new that that's on a T-shirt. Yeah, I have people. I have. I mean, you can't, uh, as far as I know. Yeah. Copyright that saying or anything, right. but as far as my voice goes, I'm using it all over the place. Yeah, they didn't have me under contract, and they never asked uh, when everything was transferred over whether whether they did because you know I should be getting royalties on the video games that it's on, the entrances that they have when they're at the various wrestle cons and all this. Um, I should be getting some sort of funds off of it. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta go collect it. I hope I hope it works out for you. As a matter of fact, when Thank we get man. done with this, I will send you that T-shirt I'm referring to. I'll send it to you and let you look at it. Yeah, appreciate it. But uh, you know, final words here um, for you, Neil. Let let everybody know what you're up to and uh, where they can catch you. Um, I'm available for independent things on the weekends, if possible. Like uh, I usually have Friday, Saturday, and Sunday open, so you know I can help with various events. Um, television director but i actually have a full-time job which i'm very grateful for i do promo work still and things like that in a totally different realm other than the wrestling business and that's uh, a great job and i work with a lot of great people and true professionals it's just a lot different than it used to be at wcw but i just wanted to thank everybody that watches these kind of podcasts and is interested in things that we used to do because we really did enjoy ourselves we did our best to entertain people and from people that swept the floors to the people that turned the lights out. Um, everybody tried their best man and did as hard as work as they could. And to have the flexibility that we had for the creativity that we did was a real honor, a uh, real pleasure because Eric just kind of let us go do what we do. And you can't ask for anything better than that as a creative. It gotcha. was so much fun. I loved every minute of it. I miss it. I miss a lot of the travel. I miss the people that I work with. I miss the talent. And when we get back together at those WrestleCons and things like that, we just laugh our heads off um, and just have a good time and reminisce. And thanks, everybody, for watching. Definitely. And if I got two two things to ask of you, if you could do your following announcements and pay for by the New World Order, and if you could do the following podcast, you know, the No Gamers Podcast, you know how to do it. The following announcement has been paid for by the New World Order. That's the shit. The following podcast may have been paid for by the New World Order. <laughs> That's excellent. All right. Well, we appreciate you, Neil Pruer, for coming on here on the No Gimmicks Podcast. And I am fabulous Frankie D. And you can check this out. Uh, oh, you know what? We got one, one, one request. Let's see. Neil, can you be the voice of No Gimmicks? We don't, ha- we, we don't have Vince's money. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah, man. Thanks for asking. No doubt. No doubt. Hey, now, sorry about the, the technical issues. I'm real, really not sure what happened. Um, I know I only have so much bandwidth on my phone, and I watch a lot of YouTube training videos. Yeah, no, that's all good. <laughs> I'm sure some things have probably been uh, already burned up in my my cell, cell phone bill. But uh, thanks gotcha. for hanging in there with me. I appreciate it. No problem. And hopefully, if you can make the edits, maybe. We, maybe, we uh, yeah, well, but I wasn't on there. Yeah, we'll spice it up and, and do it like you used to do back in the day. But this says, uh, for Neil Pruitt, this is Frankie D. And you have been listening to the No Gimmicks Podcast right here on the DFPN. And always remember, when you're NWO, you're NWO for life. Proceeding now, has been paid for by the New World.